Welcome to the Chick Monks Podcast, where we explore the spiritual path of contemplative Christianity with a female voice and perspective. A reading from the Gospel of Mark. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. The first person on the scene in Mark's account of the gospel of Jesus Christ is John, not Jesus. John was this outsider to culture, wearing clothes and eating food he could scrounge up on his own without participating in society's trade or power systems. He lived in the wilderness, and he emerged from the wilderness offering cleansing and forgiveness, and people flocked to him. He'd clearly abandoned the wisdom and ways of the world for the sake of union with the Spirit of God, And people loved it. And yet, he knew it was not his path, but another's, that would offer true life with God. He knew his role. He pointed his followers to Christ, and he offered the hope of forgiveness for all who could admit they need it. John offered a cleansing of the conscience, a chance to come clean, But when Jesus came, he would offer a new kind of life altogether. How? What's more significant than being cleansed from the guilt we all carry around with us? What could be better than hearing you're forgiven of your sins? What about the removing of the sin altogether? What about hearing you are beloved? just as you are. Jesus would come with that message. 
Jesus would take away the root of sin because Jesus would deflate the myth of separation from God. He would take away our perceived need for any of the sinful things that pull us away from God. That deep longing and fear that we're all scrambling to overcome with our self-centered and power-driven decisions. Deep down, we all believe we're separated from God. On some level, we don't see ourselves as beloved. And because of this, we live as though there's something that we need to cover up or prove about ourselves. But Jesus came to tell us the truth that not one of us is separated from God, and we don't have to act like we are anymore. Jesus reminds us that we are beloved children of God, if we will only choose to believe so. That's the only requirement. You are so loved, as you are, if you will just receive it. Jesus shows us this, coming up out of the waters of cleansing of baptism and receiving his belovedness from God. Jesus offers a new way of perfect acceptance, perfect belovedness, perfect union with God. And to offer that to the rest of us, he then went to the wilderness to be alone with the adversary, with the tempter, with darkness itself. He went to the desert with his own shadow and met face to face with the promises of self-centered glory. The promises that to us when we're in the dark, they glimmer with this hope. They glimmer with the hope of acceptance and safety and proof of our worth, of our belovedness. That answer we're all trying to get Those false promises are a way out of darkness offered by darkness itself. And Jesus, when he faced them, didn't need these gifts offered by darkness because he was already perfectly united with God. He was perfectly in the light, knowing his belovedness before the creator God. Because he chose to fear nothing about himself, to face himself with honesty and with humility, in weakness and in human fragility, because he could do this, he had no reason to violate his union with God. He had no reason for sin. Because he believed his status as the beloved son of God, there was no need to prove or accomplish anything in the ways of the world. He could withstand the temptation of the desert. With compassion and acceptance, Jesus paved the way to perfect life of divine union and offers us the same if we will receive it, if we follow him. My city right now is weighed down with the sudden and tragic loss of lives this week, lives and property and for so many people, life as they knew it. In a matter of minutes, 150 mile per hour winds spun down from the sky and demolished 
beloved businesses and homes and reminded us all how fragile this physical world is, leaving much of our city literally powerless and in the dark. There's no right way to respond to these kind of events. But as I've processed and grieved on my own and with my community in the last couple days, I've been struck by how quickly I want the tears to stop. How eager I am to leave it behind me and jump back into optimism and hope and move past grief. The Spirit gently reminded me that grief is not something to be rid of. Grief is a part of love. It has to be. There is no love that doesn't experience grief. It's absolutely necessary. Because if we don't open our hearts to grieve, we cannot open our hearts to love. If we won't be broken open, if we won't be made vulnerable, we will never know love. When we hold space for grief as a necessary experience of love, though, we're softened. When we grieve together, we make space for connection. When we grieve, we keep our hearts open to love. So I pray for my city, and I believe for all of us that this is an opportunity for love and connection in the midst of loss and tragedy. I believe that in the character of Jesus Christ, we will make the spaces for one another to grieve and to love. I believe we'll choose the softness and vulnerability of the deep pain, the shadow of love, rather than choosing to protect ourselves with pride and sin and separation. I pray for the courage of each of us to follow Jesus into the desert, to face our fear of our own grief and pain, and to find ourselves in union with ourselves and with one another and with the God who made us, shapes us, and meets us with perfect love in our most vulnerable places. Amen.